Welcome to the Touching Into Presence podcast. This podcast is for people who are interested in body work, empowerment, and somatic-based practices. I am Nikki Olson. I'm Andrew Rosenstock. We are certified rolfers. Collectively, we're trained in various movement and bodywork therapies with an emphasis on somatic awareness and client resilience. Through conversations, our goal is to share and explore mind-body paradigms to offer empowerment possibilities. We're grateful to be in conversation with Roxlyn Moret today. Roxlyn is a yoga, BMC, and Qigong teacher in the New York City area. She's been exploring, practicing, and teaching movement in the healing arts for over 40 years. Some of her titles include body-mind centering teacher, certified Labarne Bartenef movement analyst, ERYT 500 yoga alliance teacher, and a registered somatic movement educator with the Izmeta. In today's conversation, we talk with Roxlyn about her working with embodiment, finding yoga, body-mind centering, embryology, and the interrelation of all beings as shown from COVID and beyond. Our conversation today dances around these topics in an ever so gentle and excited way. So with that, let's begin our talk. Hey. Hi. Hi. Nice to meet you. Likewise. So there, there was something that Nikki was talking about. Oh, you know, yoga is a part of your background, but not necessarily specifically who or what you are, Nikki. And I think it's probably similar with you, uh, Roxlyn, in, in that you are a yoga teacher, but you're also a body-mind centering practitioner. Um, and yoga is a very, I guess, more of a popular word. I don't know if a lot of people listening or other know what BMC is. Uh, and so maybe taking us a little tour about both what is yoga what is, and what is BMC and, and how do those titles define what you do? Yeah. So um, body, mind, centering. I met Bonnie in 1985. Can I just, I'll go back and start and maybe weave into that. Because when I met Bonnie, I was studying at the Laban Institute of Movement Studies. Um, I was 33 in 1985. I had, I was dancing, performing. I was studying yoga. I was doing martial arts. And I went to the Laban Institute of Movement Studies. And Bonnie came to teach a workshop. And before that, I, I'm, I was feeling that there was something that was a little bit missing. I was doing all these different pieces, and somehow there wasn't a thread that connected them. They felt a little separate to me. And um, Bonnie came and taught this workshop for three hours. And... At that time, dancing, exercising, it was buff bodies, consciousness wasn't a word. And this woman walks in, this tour de force, 
She's got a soft, womanly body. And I had never seen anybody move like that, getting up and down, off the floor, very simple. Something was so illuminated. And I went, I'm going to go study with that woman. And the following year, 1986, I went to Amherst and worked with her for four years. And a lot of things around movement got deconstructed for me, bringing in this piece of consciousness. So if I cycle back to yoga, I think that the yoga, so I consider myself to be a yoga teacher. I consider myself to have a very serious yoga practice, um, but I'm not locked into necessarily, so what is this asana? What is the shape? But I'm always looking at all the pieces, what connects to earth, what connects to heaven, what part of me is able to participate in that, what's in the shadow. So I feel like body-mind centering kind of goes through everything I do. I still practice Tai Chi and Qigong. And um, again, my body-mind centering lens lets me uh, have a deeper experience of that. I love your description of it. And especially lens is, is a word that we will use a lot because it, it is something that I think we both, uh, Nick and I both get, um, you know, where I always say, where does rolfing end and yoga begin, right? They're, they're just different frameworks. And so there are different lenses, just like when you're at the optometrist and they, you know, drop one in and how do you see this now? And then you put the other one on and how, how do you find that clearer view of consciousness? So thank you for that, um, that beautiful description. When you're working with people, I guess, how, how do you, def it's an annoying question. And I apologize ahead of time. Yeah. How do you, how do you define your work, your, your yourself, uh, the practice? What, what is it? Right. So I say I'm a body, mind centering teacher, practitioner, teach yoga. And, and it depends on who I'm working with. I teach adaptive yoga classes. I have worked, my oldest client at one point was 99. I work, I, my sons were great soccer players. I have worked with athletes, a Navy SEAL, ballerina. So it, it really depends how much structure I bring in. And, or it could be hands-on somebody who is um, in a lot of pain, um, having a hard time being in their body, being in their life, it all, it looks different. And so for me, body-mind centering, it's about relationship. It's about listening. And um, it's about consciousness. So I've done a lot of study of anatomy, physiology, embryology, um, the developmental neurological developmental patterns of kids. And it's all important. So it's never an easy breakdown. I have to say most of the time when people come to me, it's because they've heard about my work. 
and they come to me and there's something that they're very interested in. And I usually say, well, let's see what we find. And, and, and what they might be interested when we touch, and that can be in a number of different ways, energetically or through words or hands, and we see where it takes us. This practice for me is so much about consciousness and bringing maybe what is unconscious, a little bit illuminating that, letting that come forward. That um, patterns are great. We get up every morning, we don't have to reinvent ourselves. We kind of know what we're gonna do. But when are those patterns locking us in physically or emotionally or spiritually? And that, that track is so deeply ingrained that we no longer can step out of that. And so for me, that's part of what this work is, this uncovering um, all of the layers and levels of tissue and mind that, that we have. And maybe there are some places that we can recruit. There are some places that we haven't explored before. And when they come up and when they arise, then some of those places that we have overworked can start to have a different, a different sense and can, and can step back and not overwork. That's great. I, I'm curious because you have such beautiful layering of your background, just kind of looking at your bio. And it sounds clearly you've kind of, through the education, you've kind of crafted something that's very unique to your teaching style. I would be interested to hear if you have any of like, for any listeners that might be interested in going down a mind-body modality journey, how would you describe the different schools from, so mind-body centering to the somatic training? I think those, I mean, I think people, yoga's kind of out there in the greater world that I think that's kind of easy to find the differentiations. But I would love to hear from you if you have any kind of distinctive characteristics that you could share about those two different trainings. Yeah, so body-mind centering, that's the work Bonnie Bainbridge-Cohen um, has definitely, that, that's a track in a school. And I would say Bonnie has been my primary teacher. And then having said that, my many years of martial arts with Maggie Newman, um, that's a, that question, I, I'd have to say body-mind centering has really been my path and journey. Um, and what is it about that? Because I think, and I'm kind of asking personally for myself is, I've heard of Bonnie for ages and the body mind center, but also still trying to know what is her, I know continuum was big thing of hers, correct? 
Right. Well, uh, Continuum was, uh, oh, Emily Conrad Dowd. I worked with her as well. I did a little bit of her work. I've had some great teachers that um, have influenced me. So um, sometimes if someone is looking for a more structured, I think that I would say dance and, and um, martial arts and yoga gives us a framework for those of us who like to think about our container. For me, the problem was that when I got into modalities where the container became what was emphasized in dance, so much was on bones and muscles. You can get that in yoga too, still very, very much about bones and muscles. For me, what was so interesting about body-mind centering was flushing out all the pieces. It was the first time I had somebody say, well, move from your liver. The first time that I started going through my endocrine glands, the, the thyroid, parathyroids, the heart body. And so I'm going to just tell a little story. I have two sons, and um, one of them, when he was 11, developed what's called, and it's probably happened earlier, but it was when I was aware of it, supraventricular tachycardia. It's when the heartbeat starts racing. And I had gotten a telephone call, it's the day I went out and bought a cell phone, that my son was at a soccer practice and his heart was beating at 220 beats a minute. And I got there and his heart was beating at 220 beats a minute. We immediately went to the ER and it was filled and they put a little cup on his finger and all of a sudden all the red lights went on and we went in and they packed him in ice, they put him on an IV and I watched his heartbeat go from 220 down to 40, it plummeted. That was a really hard time for me. And it just so happened that Bonnie was in town that weekend and she was teaching the endocrine glands and in body-mind centering, the atrial ventricular node is considered to be one of the glands. It's got a glandular function. So we, the assistants, I was assisting her, we're all in this room. We are, there's always a check-in. And so how are you doing? And they got to me and I burst into tears. And I said, Gabrielle, I was in the ER room with him and he's got a racing heart. And Bonnie said, Gabrielle's the most important thing in the world. We're gonna talk about the AV node, which is what we did. So heart cells, when you put them in a Petri dish, they're very, very receptive. And so when you put them in this Petri dish, they will all start to be at this, beat at the same time. So Bonnie said, when his heart beats fast, you have to go under your tone. You can't be a, a hysterical mom. You have to really drop into your great calm and put your heart on your son's heart. 
which is what I did the next time it started beating so fast. And it went back into a normal rhythm. We did that for three years. And then he played soccer and was on the road. And um, we, he had an ablation. And the, the art doctor said to us, it's a good thing you waited for three years because his accessory trap was so close to his AV note. If I had gone in earlier, I'm not sure where I would have done an ablation. But because he grew, it was further away. So my son didn't have to go through two surgeries. That's body-mind centering. I mean, that was one of those times when I was very happy I did that practice. And so it's, it's about all of the body systems that we have an understanding. It's from dancing, I think, and from yoga, from everything that I had done, had I not flushed it out with my fluids and my glands and my organs, I might have I might have needed a, a, a hip surgery or some kind of surgery from having pushed a little too hard in one system. It's a beautiful story. First of all, thank you for sharing that. Um, I'm currently taking a summer course with her, as you know, Roxanne, and I don't know if you know Nikki. I'm taking Bonnie's. Um, yes. she, she has an online summer course. And I leave every class being like, I don't know what is body mind centering, <laughs> um, because in, in, in the most wonderful way is no critique, because she comes with this. First of all, I just love her. Like I love her energy, and it's really funny because I, I'd watch YouTube videos of her, and for some reason I kind of thought she would be mean. I don't know why. There was something in this posturing I'd seen, and she's this sweet, gentle, funny lady who can go from very putting a mean face on as an experiment to putting this sweet, like she just gets into this, into her body and in, in, in such a beautiful way and embodies it. Um, but I still don't, I can't really say I understand, not that I need to, but don't say I can understand what BMC is. What's really been interesting is I've been doing a little more research on her. I knew a little before, but a lot of what Moshe Feldenkrais was teaching a lot of what Ida Rolf was teaching, a lot of what other practitioners in various fields were teaching. What I gather was Bonnie more or less figured a lot of that out on her own. So she does play a lot with gravity. Uh, and I don't know if she, my guess is she's influenced by Mabel Todd somehow um, through that, if you get to school that was in the thirties where Mabel Todd was, and that was a lot of gravity work. Yeah. Um, because Bonnie was also, to the best of my knowledge, it was at Esalen in the maybe late 60s, maybe 70s as well, and inter kind of intermixing in and, and around, but not, I don't know all the history there. I do really enjoy the practice that I've been doing. I mean, a lot of what we've been doing during the summer is stuff with our concha. Yes. And what, what I find is it's a lot about mapping, I would say, or, or feeling the map of, and like in, in your your experience with your son, you're you're tuning into the the map of his heartbeat with the map of your heartbeat. You're tuning into that to get the feeling of of what that is, not on a conceptual level, but you have to understand it conceptually first. So you understand a lot of the the physiology, the the anatomy, the science behind it, and then kind of put that aside and say, okay, 
and now feel it, right? Move like your con, like in the case, move like your concha will move. And how does the middle one sound differently than the upper one? So it's a lot of taking that into your body and expressing how that would express. That's where I am right now. Yeah, it's this is a big work. And so it's wonderful to see Bonnie put that out and to know that um, as a teacher, I studied with her four years to become a practitioner. And then I studied to be a teacher and that I've put in a lot of years. And what is body-mind centering? And it was very hard to say what it was in the beginning. And part of that, I think, is she has, she knows a lot. She's worked with a lot of people in the West, but also in the East. She lived in Japan. She studied yoga from a yogi, an Indian yogi, many years ago before it was fashionable. So Bonnie's language, one thing that I've gotten so interested in with this work, because she talks about consciousness. She talks, she was talking about cellular consciousness in 1986. Not too many people were talking about that then. And, and I became interested in physics and particles and these theorems that sound so Eastern. This idea of holism, that the, that the whole is greater than the sum of all of its parts. And that's what Bonnie does. She breaks down all the parts so that they come together to be a much fuller whole. And, and that idea that the three of us could have a map of Paris and we could go there. We could even circle the places that we were gonna to go to make sure we're going the same place. And we would come back and we would not have had the same experience. And I think that was what was so important to me about body-mind centering, always before it was structure and shape. This is what this looks like, this is what this feels like, this is what this does. And for me, Bonnie, it was the first time that somebody said, you know, we're not all going to have the same experience if we do this movement. And it might be really interesting to have a discussion to figure out why, why it's different for us. What do we learn about ourselves? What do we learn about somebody else? And so that has been so helpful for me and, and why now, as a practitioner, if I'm asking somebody to do something, and it's like, well, where are they doing it from? Where on the outside, where on the inside? And particularly if they're having pain, what's blocked? What's overworking? What's underworking? What's not conscious? What hasn't found that we're structured? But we're essence, we're, we're both. We interface heaven and earth and, and we interface body, breath and form and essence. And it's about the relationship and how all the pieces work together. 
I, <laughs> for a little backstory for just for people listening, and Nikki, I think you've heard part of this. I met Rox Lynn on an elevator um, in New York. I had just finished giving a rolfing session to someone and speaking to him actually about Bonnie Bainbridge Cohen because he had done work with her in the 70s, I think. He also had been Rolf by Tom Wing and like other people. Like he's just a really interesting guy. And we were talking about body mind centering and I get in the elevator and I meet Roxlyn. And there was just a nice, just a nice sort of connection. And we started talking and it was just that like, I was, I was just talking about like, you, you don't talk about body, it, but you know, it's not like you're talking about body mind centering 24 seven or even like, so just this weird coincidence and everything you just said and the way you said it is, has been like, it, it makes me feel really great in the heart because it's this this connection of um, of some sort of almost like a, a big sister or like you know you're speaking my language so much and and where I would like to go I, I don't think I'm fully there yet but I can see that that getting in that way is really where I am and you know it's it it's that interesting thing of where where labels end up sometimes causing more issues because so much of what you're saying, I know I can apply that to, to rolfing, right? And it's a different way of, of yeah. Um, but it's, it's, I mean, it is different as well because no two experiences are, are the same. Uh, and, and when we start to define it, it's, you know, I'll go on a, a, off subject and I'll just say, thank you. I, I, everything you said resonates so well with me. It's also what I find so hard to explain to people who are, Mostly, it seems like people, when, when I talk to clients, they are form and structure. And to try to take them to this other place is, is not always very easy because it's, it's, it's not a conscious thought, or the awareness. So, right. Yeah. And so it's, it, and that is a, a, an interesting, it is an interesting place to make an invitation for people in our practice and I say our practice, how we, how we live. Another piece that happened for me in body-mind centering was Bonnie started exploring embryology. And um, that was a really important piece for me that we, each of us, was an egg inside of our grandmother because our our five-week-old embryo mother, the germ cell, it develops very early. So our egg was in our mother's uterus until our mother's, our egg met our sperm. So that's a long time. And as Bonnie started looking at um, embryology, that started making so much sense to me. I sometimes would touch people and I would say that feels so old. That was just the feeling that I had. It was old. I couldn't name it. I couldn't quite touch it. So that became really important. It also became really important for me looking at generational trauma Living in New York City, I sometimes worked with people who were children of Holocaust survivors. And there was a touch in the tissue that felt different or, or other kinds of trauma. So this work 
is for me so multifaceted. And when we think that the imprint, so it's it's not like our embryology is gone, but the in the in our DNA is the imprint of our embryology. It's why they can think about cloning. And 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 this idea of, of, of how intelligent our cells are so that you are right we have to think we think with our brains our brains are endlessly important but information has to come in for the brain to record to process to analyze to remember but that when our sperm and egg first came together our cells knew exactly what to do they multiplied, they divided, they specialized, they migrated, and they created all the systems in our body, including our brain. So it's, it's, it's a, this big piece. So one of the things Bonnie talked about since I've known her in 1986 is cellular consciousness. The brain is endlessly important, but what do your cells know? Our cells are making decisions all of the time about how we're metabolizing, how we're taking in, how we're processing the breath, the hormones, and that sometimes that's when it's very interesting when that is out of whack, this meditation that could possibly be very helpful for some people. That's a great explanation to support how rich our histories are that our histories are not just when we are earthbound that we have this whole other legacy that we're that we're given yeah it's interesting in my path i think for me i so a lot of me you know moving around new york and or not when i was in new york moving around to different modalities and I feel very blessed because I feel like I was guided, call it the universe or just my own divine intuition. The people that I found, like I went through a Pilates training, but my Pilates instructor was very, like she, we, we held on to a little bit of the classical training, but right away she was talking about structural integration, embryology, and then same with, you know, my yoga teachers and my gyro teachers. And then I would, you know, took tons of classes at the Open Center. Is that still there? You know, I don't know if the Open Center is still there. I just, that just popped in my brain. <laughs> I've been there in a long time. I haven't looked them up in a long time. Yeah. So, but my journey has definitely been more on kind of the physical body. And I think within the physical body, I was titrated with some of these somatic ideas. And now I feel like my journey is taking the deeper dive into the somatic world and this, the subtleties and the fluid body and talking, you know, becoming more, deepening my understanding of embryology and how that has affected our movement patterns and the way we, the way we are. So this is, it's fun to hear you take a deeper, take us in a deeper dive of what all these different aspects of, of learning about our movement can be. Because I think 
think and kind of know is that the majority of the the world when they think of movement they really are thinking about it from a traditional point of view of more of a gym setting or so physical and there's not the in the mainstream which hopefully we'll get there of this other way of looking at how we move and how we are right and the mind the mind of the movement that how we how comfortable we are in our body can affect how comfortable we are in our mind so now when i when i first came to this work there was a split for me and now when i talk about that not being quite comfortable with all the movement i was doing there felt like there was something more it was the mind piece that was missing for me, I think, to, to um, that now when I do yoga, sometimes I find if I look at an asana, I want to I know what the Sanskrit was. I want to know what the yogis were talking about. Why did they name it like they named it? when they were talking about the foot or the animal or whatever it was, what? It wasn't just do this shape and do this shape for this reason, although yoga developed in that as it came more Western, but there was definitely a mind aspect to it. There was definitely this feeling that went with the asana. So sometimes I find that intriguing as well. I want to mention something you, uh, well, actually I'll show you because the book right next to me is Netta's Embryology, which has been really, really wonderful. Uh, and we will actually have uh, next month a lady who uh, it was a rolfer and got into cranial circle, uh, biodynamic cranial, and then really got into embryology and looking at that. And I know for me, when I, I have a friend who's a biodynamic gal, and when she was getting into embryology, I, I didn't get it at the time. And I was like, but eh. and as I've progressed down where I have progressed, um, yeah. And I've had similar experiences where I work with someone and you're like, this is ancient. This is, this is an older thing. This is, this is a grandmother thing. This is something. And I, when I first heard that, you know, you are cellularly in your grandmother, from the from the embryo it was just this like poof like oh that makes so much so much sense yeah. it's not new age it's science like there's science there i really love in in bonnie summer course she talks a lot about sperm and egg and so it's and it's really lovely like when she gets really excited she'll say i'm in that that sperm you know mentality i, I need to be more eggy right and, and going into that and it's and it's beautiful in a lot of ways, but I, I really like how I take it is it's not masculine, feminine, and it really takes away this um, gendered role of like, well, the man is strong and the woman is this, and it, and it gives this other aspect to the sperm and the egg. And it's just, it's really lovely. And I, I, I've been enjoying playing with it in my own sort of practice of noticing, okay, I'm a little too hyper, I'm a little too this. Little to spur me, how do I 
you know, drop down. Not something you can have with a conversation with a lot of people. If I said to someone on the street, I'm a little too spermy right now, they, they, uh, they may not get it. But I, I've really, I've enjoyed that. I've really enjoyed her, that, that approach to it. And maybe it is something that time will shift for us, right? Time will shift around gender, around, um, you know, when did we think that cellular consciousness was going to be a big word? You know, I certainly didn't see that in 1986. And that this whole idea that um, most people never entertain the idea that they are egg and sperm. They might go, I'm female, so I'm egg, you're male, you're sperm, and go, nope, we have that. We have those two perfect cells that came together. It's a nice thought. Also in all this conversation, I, this, I saw this pop up on Instagram on one of the, the hashtags that I follow, but there's, I think people, we could sometimes get sensationalized with generational trauma. And then someone was saying, well, yes, there is generational trauma, but then we also have generational blessings. And I thought that that was a really nice Absolutely. offering that, there's so much more in our history than just what didn't work out for us. But I think sometimes we tend to have those type of conversations than really talking about what is really working for us. What, what, what are the gifts that we've been given down the road? Yes, I think that's important. And I'm just going to go way, way out on a limb right now and say that part of the embryology work for me has been powerful. It's been powerful in my dreams and my meditations. It's been very interesting to feel that I can touch the imprint and the consciousness of that part of my life and give support. That, right, if we look at, at physics, you know, they, the, the time, time uh, relativity, that we can move in space, but we move in time. This is one thing that physicists are saying, this is not, just new age. And so I've often thought about how do, how do we hold the past and the future? I don't, I, 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 I sometimes though think through the embryology, it feels highly vibrational to me. And I feel like there are parts of my embryology that I have, I have been with. And I feel supported. So um, how do we heal generational trauma? How are we with that? I, I, um, and for me as a somatic practitioner, it is, it is through my moving meditations, which my moving meditations can be in stillness. And one of my... Uh, the biodynamic cranial trainings, which has a lot to do with the embryology and that specific one. We were both working with people, so working into the somites, you know, touching into the somites, touching into the, the process of embryology, of, of becoming a, 
fetal uh, and and child, but we also had meditations to do on our, on our own for homework where we would sit in various stages, you know, connecting into the, the cell mites, connecting into the, uh, the the primal street, connecting into into that, which is that's a practice. That's not something that necessarily you just sort of sit down the first time and, and you, you get, you may, but it's a deeper, deeper practice to feel into that. But I, I loved it. Uh, I didn't always connect directly, but I still really, even if I wasn't able to be with it in that, I could still, I, I wasn't necessarily feeling it, but I was feeling that it was there. I just wasn't there yet if that makes sense so there was an awareness of it and it was just like take some time and it is a practice so because you bring in the somites from that uh, uh, paraaxial column those are where our vertebra are going to come out of and they're like this string of pearls on either side and they come together and when they come together, they circle our neural tube and our notochord. The notochord will become the, the vertebral disc. And, of course, we're going to have our spinal cord. But it's very, very interesting because that happens up here. But then there's this caudal eminence. It's everything that's down. There's this place where the bottom, the sacrum and the tail, are not part of these somites coming together. But they come up. So people with spinal bifida, sometimes it's where the spine and the caudal eminence haven't come together. And so you have these spinal nerves bulging out. And I, I would do hands-on work with people going, this is where we are, so mites, that it's very energetic work. And I remember coming to this place in this woman and saying, somehow there's confusion here. It doesn't feel like everything came together. And she said, oh, yes, that's where I had the hint of spinal bifida. It wasn't totally open, but that was that place for me. And so it's very interesting in these places of coming together or where they didn't come together. And so... I can't say that we change the structure, but working energetically there can give a little support to the area. I can relate to that. I was born with a wandering eye and I've had two surgeries and I still, my eye still, I feel it. It doesn't necessarily drift, but there are moments where I know my eye wants to go back where it started. Yeah. And so that's very, very interesting because we start to realize how seeing is a pattern, a pattern of the brain and what your brain got accustomed to processing and does it pull us back there. And the eyes are quite, I am very myopic. So just so you know, I am working with vision and I'm working with my uh, ears. I haven't decoded that at all, but it is it is really complex, and it's good that you're aware of that. And so those places that, um, that you can work with the muscles and with the brain, and, and yeah. it's good that you're aware of that. And, and that it is, for me, it would be not being aggressively 
fighting that, but where can you go into that softness and make another, make an invitation? Yeah, and and with no true guidance direction, I kind of played that with myself because my first surgery was, I was quite young, like five. And, and we were told, you know, my parents were told that it was likely that I would need two surgeries. And I didn't get my second one until I was 30. And I was in New York City. And it was really interesting. I got, ended up meeting this one doctor that he was like a one-man show. Apparently, he was like world-renowned. But he pretty much, he was kind of at his retiring age. And I had a conversation with him. I was like, why, why, why would I get a surgery? You know, I, for vanity, maybe, but I, I see straight. My vision's good. And, and in a way, it was kind of for vanity, but he said it in such a simple way. He's like, if you have an opportunity to have your eyes straight, why wouldn't you? And I was like, well, I guess I'm willing to trust you because we just had such a great conversation. And he had, like, old tools in his office, and it was just – it was very fascinating. And so I ended up going through the surgery with him. And, um, and, you know, I don't really think about it anymore, but occasionally when I'm feeling my eye wanting to, to drift and just kind of that familiar pattern, cause my eye would go up and then towards my nose. So I was like kind of wandering cross-eyed and, um, so yeah, yeah, it's just, it's just interesting. Yeah. Have you ever worked with a behavioral optometrist? No. Okay. That is sometimes, uh, you know, back in the day, I I knew people. I worked with Joseph Trapman, who did the Acomatrack machine, which I can't say it particularly relaxed my eyes, but during childbirth, it was terrific because I used his stuff for that. But um, but there are, and I'm forgetting his name, he's retired in New York, but um, one of my younger sons was having problems with his eyes, and I found a behavioral optometrist really helpful because he wasn't tracking things in a good way. So um, I thought... Interesting. Maybe Boulder seems to have all sorts of type of people. Maybe I can <laughs> find one. And just see what they have to say. And if yeah. anything that sounds interesting to you, because um, what you're experiencing, I would imagine would be one of the things that somebody would work with. And then to know that um, it would have to be the right person who resonates with you and what they say makes sense. Thank you for that. I'm going to look into it. Yeah, I just finished reading a book, actually, to kind of tie things in a different way, but called Eco-Psychology, all about perception. And I never actually knew that some, some schools of, of sight are in psychiatry because of how we process the world is both a physical eye thing, but also perceptual within the, the consciousness, within our brain, within our different lobes of, of our brain. And it was really an interesting look at how vision or perception of the world, how it all sort of ties in. It was a little more philosophical than physical, but still looking at that intersection between there, which was pretty awesome stuff. 
no pun intended, but very eye-opening. Yes. Um, no, and it's at newborn babies. If there is a problem with their eyes and it's not taken care of right away, if it can be taken care of, they may end up with no problem with the visual, with the mechanism of the eye, but that the brain is was did such a blank um, with being able to process in the visual cortex that they don't see because there's plasticity sometimes in what happens. So if somebody's blind, they may have more acuity auditorily, that that sometimes things don't stay just in one area, but can move a little bit. We have a certain amount of plasticity, particularly as infants. That's awesome. But I found it sort of interesting thinking of what we've been talking about here and other talks we've had is there hasn't necessarily been a overall plan, a theme planning of people we would have on to be like a series, to be like, oh, we'll have this person, we'll talk about this and this other person and we tie it all in together. But there, there's just a lot of what you say has tied into previous talks we've had. And it's really, as as one of the creators of this, with not really that intention in mind but other other things in mind to see this beautiful offering out and and to see how this interlap and overlay is is just it's really beautiful for me as the person kind of maybe partly spearheading this sort of thing so i'm really grateful to have you on for many reasons first just to see you again after three years or so also to to share Bonnie's work and, and body mind centering with people who maybe have heard of it and didn't know or haven't heard of it. And also to share you because as anyone who's listened for even a few minutes of this, this whole talk, you're just a wealth of, of not just knowledge, but of real loving goodness. Oh, thank you. Well, I have to say it is so Great to be with the two of you, and clearly both of you with all of your life experience to um, guide this interview, this conversation. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm so I'm kind of bummed I didn't know you when I was in New York City, but I look forward to this year was supposed to be my year to visit, but no, next time. I'm, I'm barely leaving my my home. <laughs> Yeah. But um, how is everything going in New York City from a, a real life perspective? From a real life perspective, it is going really well in New York. We're way down. I did have COVID. My husband had COVID. We got that. And we started sheltering in before it was mandatory because um, I teach at the JCC across the street and found out that a few people had been sick there and went, oh, I'm not teaching out anymore. So we started looking into Zoom. And at that point, the ambulances were going by every 10 minutes, 24 seven. Oh gosh. And, um, I really got slammed by COVID. I, 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 my prayer was, was that I wouldn't have to go to the hospital. I just thought, I don't care about dying. I just don't want to die alone. I don't want him to, you know, to have to leave my husband. He was less sick than I was, but um, 
I did, the doctor had me go get an x-ray after three weeks and um, I was, my lungs looked like I had chronic obstructive pulmonary disease and that's what I felt like. I'm somebody who bites all over, I walk. Getting up from here to the kitchen was such an effort for me. So again, this body-mind centering, and there were a lot of, I knew when I had COVID, I didn't get tested while I had COVID, but afterwards, my husband and I both tested positive for the antibodies. Um, but I did, so all this contra work that Bonnie's doing, and the nasopharynx, and the trachea, and the bronchi, and the lungs, um, it was uh, how I think that's why I'm feeling as good as I feel now. But when I got the diagnosis, I called Bonnie and she just, she was in the middle. I knew she was filming. I didn't even leave a message that I was sick. And she called me back and I said, you know, I, I'm, I'm really not well. And so she said, well, I'm right here. She goes, are you lying down? She goes, I'm gonna lie down with you. So she was in California. And we went through my lungs and she said, I have a feeling it's your lower right lung and your lower right bronchi that's most effective, put your hand there. And then she goes, and I'm putting my hand there. And I went, buddy. I feel it. That was the first time, you know, I was like, but um, it was a powerful um, meditation. And it was, you know, having this practice for as many years as I've had this practice, to be able to take that homeopathic breath, she said, don't overbreathe, because that'll just go into your strong alveoli. Take that light breath into your injured tissue, that homeopathic breath. And so that's what I did. And um, by the time I got to Switzerland, I was climbing those 30-foot ladders to pick cherries and carrying my baskets and the carts. And so, um, but it was a deep experience for me the and and um from my background i grew up in a segregated south and when covid hit i was so aware of the communities that were being devastated and my heart was breaking and in some ways i felt i got slammed so hard because i couldn't hold the enormity of it it wasn't just a personal experience for me but it was a, a whole social thing. COVID has taught us that we are all in relationship. It is teaching us that we are all in relationship to one another. And um, what are we going to learn from that? That's where I am with that. And hopefully we're all, I believe, I believe we're all, oh, COVID is doing that lesson. I think some of us are, getting the lesson better than others. <laughs> but, I, I, I would agree with that. Yeah. Where in the South, I, what you're saying resonates so much for me too, for COVID, also Black Lives. I grew up in Memphis, Tennessee. So, so 
Yeah. I grew up in New Orleans. Okay. So I was born in 52, and it was part of that big, great migration in 1962 when my father, and at the time I didn't know it was a great migration, but my mother's whole family, her brother, her two brothers, her sister, her mother, their families, my father and two of his brothers and all of their kids. So it was a big, um, it was a big, big migration. So I am grateful to this work because before George Floyd, I remember saying to Bonnie, there's not enough air in the room for me to breathe. I often felt that way. So this work has been a big healing work for me to come into my body and to do some healing for me. And then again with COVID, how do I hold the enormity of it? It is what my practice is about. Not that I'm in a bubble, disconnected from the world, but that this practice allows me to know how important it is for me to be in relationship which makes it easy for me to be in this virtual space because I call it a healing space. I've been amazed at what I've learned and how I've been touched and how I've touched in this space. And I think it's because that's what I have to call it. It's the healing space. I love that. I feel that way too in a lot of ways. I mean, of course, of course, we would love to have human connection and be in community that way, of course. But I, I kind of get a little, um, uh, the true root word would be agitated in our world, this therapeutic world where they put so much emphasis on the human touch and kind of become dismissive with Zoom. And I feel like, this Zoom has been amazing during this time because it has still allowed everybody to be so connected. Yes. And, um, and I, I feel that way, that I've gotten great work by being in community with other like-minded people. If we didn't have this and we were kind of without the virtual space, I think, I think there would be a lot more loneliness than the people are giving awareness to. Yes. And I, I feel like this has given, can be so healing. And I'm not, for sure, I felt the Zoom fatigue and, you know, there is a time and place and when to take a break. But um, I, I thank you for echoing that because I, I feel very much the same. So I will share a story because uh, in my work, I work with some people who have uh, compromised immune systems, people who are older, and um, I would do a lot of hands-on and a lot of cueing with touch. Like this is your shoulder and they, they would need to be touched in order to move. And um, this one person, I, they have so inspired me because of the fear and anxiety. She lived alone when we started this in the beginning. It was like, I can only see the, the ceiling. We have to get the camera so I can see you. And to watch her movement now, to call up, 
And I realize now she watched, she did years at the ballet. And I call up images of the ballet and she's able to move in a way that I have not seen her move ever. And it really took me not being able to put my hands on her to move her to really, and that we had this relationship so she could really sit with that camera trying to get it and make a connection. So it's, um, it's, it's, it's powerful. Some of the people who have kept me on have been the people who, if you had asked me in January, I would have said would have been the people least capable of doing this. There's a, an old story from the Zorba the Greek that I always really loved. I think I read about it in Job's body, the Dean Joan book. Um, yeah. And he talks about a, talks about a butterfly, a caterpillar trying to get out, wiggling its way out from the, the cocoon, and the person helped the caterpillar out. But because he did that and it wasn't the full, the right time, the butterfly was deformed, right? And so that, that what you're hearing is sort of how I'm hearing is sometimes we want to touch, we want to put our hands on, but actually letting them wiggle their way out in order to, to shine is, is what's needed. Thank you for that. That's great. Yeah, I just want to really thank you, uh, Roxanne, for your time, for what you're sharing, and, and just for you. Well, thank you for you and for sharing. And Nikki, thank you. Yes, thank you again for taking time. And I would love to meet you someday when it's safe to travel again. We'll do it, Nikki. We'll do yeah. it. We'll, 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 yeah, circle around. Yeah, when we can travel. When we can travel. Thanks for listening to us at Touching Into Presence. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. You can find out more about Roxanne Moret at embodiedbreathyoga.com. Please feel free to leave us positive reviews on your favorite podcast aggregators. And please share us with people who may be of interest. We do this for all of you out there. We do hope we're making a difference in your days. We look forward to hearing back from you and seeing you on our next conversation at A Touching Into Presence. Bye-bye.